0: The Woj Pod is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead, Goodyear, more driven. Welcome into another edition of The Woj Pod here with the great Mark Spears of ESPN and the Undefeated and the co-author of a new book, The Spencer Haywood Rule, Battles Basketball and the Making of an American Iconoclast. Mark and the Boston Globes, Gary Washburn. Uh, The book is by Triumph Books. It was just released here in the last uh, couple days. You can get it at Amazon, and we're going to talk a good deal about the book. It's terrific, but we're going to start, Mark, with Lakers Heat, the NBA Finals, and now the Lakers now within a win uh, as soon as Friday night of Another championship. You are still down in the bubble. I saw Maliki Andrews held up her Wilt yeah. Chamberlain esque yeah. 100 day sign. How many days now is this for you in the bubble? Are you counting?
1: Oh, man. that's Well, I don't. She has me beat. For me, it's July 12th. So, whatever that is. And I did want you to know that the Woj Memorial table is still intact. In, in the media dining room, there's Woj's table by the window. Yep. And it's, it's, you walk in and it's the far back left. Nobody sits there. It's, (laughs) we have a plaque in there and, and it's it's still, still like, you know, still his, that's where his office was, man. He was close to the food. He was close to the window. Yeah. It's very moving. That
0: was a special, (laughs) special spot. Yeah. I'll remember it well. Um, I'm gonna try to mail you the table too. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. I've, uh. Yeah, I've been out of there a couple of weeks now. Uh, miss seeing you guys every day, um, but Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, Mark, there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot more discussion about those two here as as the Lakers get closer to perhaps clinching this title. We both knew Kobe uh, well, and I would say at the very least, Mark, the LeBron Kobe relationship at the least was very complex, and maybe at the best kind of cool, kind of distant. Is that how you remember? That's how I remember it. Yeah. How, how uh, do you remember it, Mark?
1: I, I very much remember it the same. Uh, I, I even think that perhaps out of respect for LeBron, Kobe didn't really come around, um, kind of gave him a space, because I think Kobe knew when he walked into that arena, the spotlight was on him. I don't care how big LeBron is and how big a superstar he is, Kobe is Lakers. And that's a big statement knowing the greats that have worn that uniform. But, you know, from what I remember, man, it's there was talk about them getting together. I'm not I don't think they ever did. Um that's not to say Kobe wasn't busy, but I definitely think he was open to you know trying to uh I don't know if you could call it built big brother, little brother, but Lakers greats, you know, coming together and and communicating and having a relationship there, but it never really happened.
0: Yeah, I, and I don't know, I don't know how interested LeBron was in little brother. Yeah, I, I don't know at this point in his career Perhaps that was part of it. Yeah, I, I don't know that that was. You know, I think earlier, I think when in, in you listen to LeBron talk, is a very young man coming out of high school to the NBA, Kobe was, you know, you know, Kevin Garnett and Kobe Bryant for this generation were the two players who had done it early, the, the two highest profile players. And obviously Kobe was, uh, that was the more easily, the more easy player to compare LeBron with in terms of stardom. And they were different players, but certainly a uh, mortal MVP level guys. And, yeah, they they were much more competitors. Yeah. Le- Kobe very much listen, for, for the last he was holding, and then there was a time he could not hold LeBron off anymore. There was a time he was he knew LeBron was coming. He knew LeBron was coming to start winning to start winning titles. Uh he fell short uh in in Cleveland and then he fell short in Miami in the first year. And it's funny. As I remember it the one thing Kobe even when LeBron surpassed him in their playing career as contemporaries where LeBron was clearly as Kobe got older and LeBron had become he was he was a more dominant player as Kobe was headed toward the back end of his career I know what Kobe always felt he had over LeBron was was the championships and the winning and having more titles than LeBron I think was the one thing he could hold up, that in the end, your career would be measured by championships. And now LeBron has a chance now to win his fourth and and really close the gap on Kobe. And and with the Lakers and coming to the Lakers, that is all you are judged on. You are not judged on getting to the conference semis, getting to the NBA finals. If you're going to be a great Laker, you have to win championships.
1: And, and for LeBron, I'm sure if he gets it done as expected, takes a weight off his shoulders in terms of being a Laker. Like, he could find, he, he can't say he didn't get one. And if he didn't get one with them, he would have got ridiculed for that. You know what's funny, Woj, and correct me if I'm wrong. When LeBron won his first MVP, didn't Kobe that day take the headlines for asking for a trade?
0: I, I believe you're right. I don't remember the timing of it, but it it, it <laughs> It sounds about right. And the relationship with those two was interesting around USA basketball. Kobe loved to play mind games, get a mental edge on guys he competed with by being around them in the Olympics. It's funny. Everybody else used it to recruit future teammates and build super teams. And Kobe's idea was to sort of impose his dominance over you. Um, to actually beat you. I mean th- that was a big part of it. Uh, 2008 in China, LeBron had not won a championship yet. It was a different dynamic between them. 2012 was different. LeBron had surpassed Kobe as he had won a championship already in Miami. Uh, he was on his way to another. The dynamic between them was very different. but it's funny at that point, 2012, Kobe was just thinking about getting out of the West and there were those two guys in Oklahoma City. Yeah, that were becoming a problem for them with the Lakers. And I remember in a conference, Lakers beating them in a uh, I think it might have been 2010, a couple years earlier, a conference semifinal. They won on a missed box out. I remember Thunder had a missed a box out in game six. And I think uh, Lamar Odom had a putback and they they escaped. And I remember Kobe walking out of the press conference, waiting for Durant and Westbrook to go in. And he just looked at the two of them as they were walking up to the podium and he was walking past and the Lakers were fairly fortunate to escape. It was probably the last time they were going to be the better team. And I remember he just looked at them and he said, you two MFs and he shook his head and he kept, you know, he laughed and he kept walking by um, because he knew those two were coming. And in 2012, what I remember with Kobe was he spent a lot of the or he spent some of that Olympics with Russell Westbrook telling Russ, you know, you should be winning scoring titles. I don't know why you're letting Kevin win scoring titles. You know, you should be the one winning them. And anything he could do to plant a little seed of, uh, yeah. of uh, the set within two teammates, it, it was pretty funny. But, you know, they competed. Listen, they were competing for championships. They were competing in the shoe game. They were two of the top sellers and still are. And, I mean, it's amazing even after Kobe retired, his shoe, like Jordan's, has a life that will continue. But it's an interesting dynamic in L.A. now. And I think, listen, things change when a player retires like Kobe did and then certainly
1: when he's lost the way that he is gone now. But I'll (laughs) say this to you, too. It's it's funny because, you know, I mentioned the thing about him asking for a trade and to me it was almost to let him know yeah you might got the mvp but people care more about me and whether i <laughs> want to be here or not and, and, and it's funny because when Giannis ended up getting mvp recently it was lebron moaning about the vote so that like took right. the highlight i'm like he did the same thing <laughs> that kobe did to him and yeah. i also remember kobe saying and you'll laugh at this was um when the jersey sales started coming out like those emails started coming out. And suddenly LeBron was getting more jersey sales than Kobe. And he's like, yeah, you know, everybody has my jersey already. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, it's going to be hard for me to, you know, they don't, you know, maybe if they start making different jerseys, it'll, be, it'll, it'll change. But, you know, how can you be on top when everybody already has your jerseys? <laughs> it's like, even in the jersey game, it was important for him to be number one over LeBron. And you said something earlier, Mark, just –
0: in life and in death now. Kobe Zora stands overall in L.A., and you cannot be a Laker. Even LeBron James, and it speaks to how how incredible and immense Kobe's legacy is with the Lakers, that even the great LeBron James comes to L.A., and people are still like— the, the comparisons to Kobe start from day one will—, will the shadow of Kobe remained, and and it was what you said, like you have got to win a title. And the pressure on LeBron to deliver a championship and now being one game away, to do it in his second year is pretty remarkable to put and he has shown wherever he's gone you can put a team together right away around him and win a title. There's not another I'm not a, I, I know there's not another player in the league who it, he makes it look easy. It is not easy, even getting Anthony Davis. Um, and then piecing the rest of the roster together. And and I do think that in a lot of ways, LeBron and Anthony Davis, they, they share that podium if, and when they do win Le- Kobe's going to be there with them. I mean, he just, he's part of this championship, especially, you know, the, the this will be the first championship uh, won in the NBA since he died. It's going to be very likely a Lakers championship and, and I think he has been very respectful of it, accepting of it, and he's handled it perfectly. And I think once he – I think he knew the impact Kobe had in L.A., but I don't think you know no until you yeah. play there and you you have to feel it every day. And I think he felt it last season in his first year there um, in a way that, that, that I don't know you can do unless you
1: experience it. Well – and uh, man I wish this was in Staples, man. Yeah. This would have been game 5 in Staples Center. Could you imagine the emotion that would have been there, the the, the way the fans would have been, you know, per, perhaps Vanessa Bryant might have even came to the game. Um I I'm sure if if that would have given some the Lakers some extra motivation to finish it out being in Staples, there would have been certainly a lot of people outside and I think, woes. Well, did you, did you. It, I don't know if you came to that game, their first game um, after Kobe passed, and seeing the memorial outside, I, I'll never forget it. Like seeing people there at five in the morning to two in the morning. Um, the tributes that they paid to him, the mariachi bands, the people that brought their kids uh, to, to to what ended up being like a shrine. I wish those same people could have had the opportunity to, to potentially be here for this. Yeah. And so they'll, they'll be watching on TV. It won't, it won't be the same, but this isn't going to surpass LeBron's first championship in Cleveland, but I can see him. And, and I'm curious to see the emotions of the Lakers uh, if, and when they do, uh, you know, win the whole thing in the bubble, it's odd. You know it's odd. Yeah. In there. It's odd. But getting it done, going home, solidifying it, mm-hmm. I'm sure there will be some emotion that that runs out for a lot of the guys, especially LeBron. Yeah. And listen, Kobe's
0: influence is all over the relationships. Rob Polenka, the GM, was Kobe's agent, uh, probably as close of a friend as either had. And, you know, Jeannie Buss certainly – was very close to Kobe and, and they're all obviously in the bubble and, and, and that's going to be a big part of it, but you're right to not have it in LA, but it's, it's, it's where it is right now. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call one 800 directv tv or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. I want to get to market and, and talk now a bit about your book with Gary Washburn, the Spencer Haywood rule battles, basketball and the making of an American I- iconoclast and triumph books. You can get it at amazon.com. It's, it's terrific. And it's funny there's, you have a picture section in there and there's, there's some photos that I, I noticed of, uh, Spencer Haywood with LeBron and Spencer Haywood with Kobe around USA basketball. And Spencer Haywood's life was uh, remarkable. His impact, his lawsuit that went to the Supreme court um, that essentially opened up um, early entry and had an impact on the early entry rule, had an impact on uh, free agency um, going from the ABA to the NBA from College basketball to the ABA and uh, earlier. Why did you decide to do this book, Mark? And Haywood's life is as relevant now, and his the things that uh, the relevancy of free agency and the relevancy of the 68 Olympics and sort of his emotional pull, the emotional tug he felt once he was there and saw Tommy Smith and John Carlos. And a 68 Olympic team that did not include Louell Sindor or a Bob Lanier, uh who could have played, some others who stayed back. Yeah. Um I, I, all of those themes are very relevant to to our country, to pro basketball here in 2020. It's pretty remarkable 50 years later.
1: Yeah, no, his um to, to answer your first question, it was Bill Duffy. <laughs> great- Super agent Bill Duffy called me and he's like, Hey man, uh, Spencer Hay was getting a book done. He would like for you to do it. I'm like, one, why are you calling? Me <laughs> <laughs> why has Bill Duffy called me about a book? Um, and two, I, I was certainly honored. I had done a few stories on Spencer and his. A lot of it was about his Mississippi upbringing, where he was picking cotton from birth. Um, mm-hmm. His mom, you know, picked cotton for a living, and and he has some as you've read in the book, woe some oh sad and crazy stories about growing up in the cotton fields and uh, just uh, uh, being the racism and just uh, being in that class is just, it's just 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 sad and horrible. Um, and I think he felt a kinship with me that it, my ability to tell perhaps the most sensitive part of his mm-hmm. life, you know uh, growing up in Mississippi and in his eventual, a departure when his mother feared for his life there, um, so he he asked if I could do it, and and well, as you know this man like I don't, I'm i sure you get asked about books all the time, and you're busy, I'm busy. Like sometimes the thought of doing a book is like, whew, it just sounds yeah. like a lot, you know. It is a lot. So yeah. I I said, look, I, I want to do this, but I need help, and I know Gary Washburn. For We used to work together at the LA Daily News in the late 90s and we're good friends, and he had been yearning to write a book. And I'm like, man, let me – can I split it up with Gary? (laughs) (laughs) And so we had to get clearance on that, and Gary was really excited about it. Uh, He's a senior NBA writer for the Boston Globe. And um, so we collaborated. And so last summer, we both went to Vegas for Summer League, and I interviewed Spencer at his home for three days. Uh, in summer league and uh, probably for about 20 hours. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Gary went and got them too. So I actually do uh, chapters one through seven, which basically I write through the Olympics. Um, And then Gary took the baton after that and finished it. But I I think Woj, as you know, as we talked about some of the stories of the book, there are a lot of little funny stories, man, (laughs) like a lot of great one-liners. And and it's, it's certainly not for kids. (laughs)
0: no it's uh yeah there are a couple there's a there's a few one-liners that i had to write down that you're gonna have to read the book to get probably probably get beeped out on the uh old disney podcast here
1: yeah 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 but he um i think it's an entertaining read it's a historical read um it it takes you into mississippi like how many people living today can talk about being in the cotton fields like And telling you that experience and dealing with the racism in Mississippi and then being there when John Carlos and Tommy Smith got kicked out of the Olympic Village mm-hmm. or seeing Jesse Owens get cursed out by John Carlos. Like right. he he has some like stories, um, you know, dealing with the Supreme Court, playing with Magic Johnson, this drug use, being married to Amon. Like you could really do a 30 for 30 on the guy. I know he's not a household name with the young generation, They're like Spencer Who? you know, but um, he's a Hall of Famer who probably has one of the more interesting stories that I've ever heard.
0: You know, that the, the story of his first contract in pro ball uh, goes to the University of Detroit to the Denver Rockets of the ABA where he played 45 minutes a game for them in his rookie year. How about that? <laughs> 45 minutes a game. There was no load management in the ABA.
1: No, 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 no. Right? He, averages, he also played with India Ari's dad. Wow. And, uh, and averages
0: th- basically averages 30-20. He's the MVP rookie of the year in the ABA. And he has a contract. The three years, 450K on the surface was not what it seemed. His contract was paid out over time, and he didn't have an agent. He didn't have a lawyer to do the contract, essentially. and he he took it on the chin with that first deal it's just something you wouldn't imagine now with a player to not have representation for that kind of a contract but he didn't and i think this bookmark and, and it gets back to and, and we take if we take free agency for granted we take players now being able to leave early and go to the nba you know at least after their first year after a full year after the high school classes graduated and it's just a matter of time before the league is going to change the rule back to allow you to come out of high school. You can come out of high school and go to the to the G League, which is not the same. That is not that is not the same. Um, but all of it really started with Spencer Haywood being willing to take a court case um, to go from the ABA to the NBA. Uh, at that time, you had to have, you had to have been four years out of your high school graduating class and he wasn't that. And so he took the case all the way to the Supreme court.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, the reason why the book is called the Spencer Haywood rule is because of what you just mentioned when they do change and allow players to go straight from high school again, he wants it to be called the Spencer Haywood rule. He's like really adamant about this. Like he really, it, it, it kind of, was mind-boggling to me a little bit, but like that's really important to him. He wants that credit, and and he wants the players. I, I think he realizes if, if, it, if it gets changed to that name that that's something that lives past him. Right. And, uh, you know, Woj, I think you know this. I got to know Earl Lloyd really well, first black player in NBA history, um, and he used to talk to the uh, rookies every year. Go to the rookie symposium and and orientation, and and they ask them, Do you know who I am? And they'd be like, No. And then he would explain who he was, and they'd be like, Really excited about it. And obviously, Mr. Lloyd has passed, it's been a few years. But I do think Spencer is one of those guys that the players union should bring in every year as a speaker so they could know about his story, know about his uh, what he meant to free agency, what he means to them. As they continue their uh or start and continue their NBA careers, he he took a big risk at a very young age and won. And so he is hoping that if if they make some changes, he is the one that's named for it. So anytime there's a a young kid that decides to, to go straight to the NBA at a high school, his name will come up.
0: It, it makes a lot of sense, and he he has been like he has been accessible to players throughout his career. You mentioned in Vegas, whether it was USA basketball being in Vegas or summer league. Uh, I think Spencer Haywood's always made himself accessible to young guys um, because not only did he go through, he took on the establishment, the NBA in court, uh, you know, his career, he lost. He would probably be viewed, Mark, as a a different player in history. I think substance abuse and the turn his career took impacted. You know, I think how he's remembered, and and he probably wasn't as fully productive and dominant as he could have been. And and I know that's an area you guys explore in the book.
1: Yeah, he could have been a champion with Magic. Magic rookie year, he could have, he could have been a part of that, and and. You know, drugs destroyed him, destroyed his career. He has been sober for a few years now and he celebrates in that. And and, you know, I, I'm proud to hear it when he when he does that. But I'm sure there's he's in a hall of fame and that can't be taken away. But to know that you could have got that ring with magic and and drugs won that for you certainly certainly has to to bite him when he reflects back on his career.
0: Mark this book for you and 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 Gary Washburn, and I think especially for you and the role you've taken at the undefeated at ESPN and how you've covered the NBA in the bubble, how you cover the league outside of the bubble, I think you have had as much impact as anybody has had on holding NBA teams and the league accountable in the area of minority coaching hires. of of black coaches in the NBA, assistant coaches, uh, especially who are trying to become head coaches in bringing attention to at any given time, what the numbers are, who candidates are. And, and I know that there's and, and, and not just in coaching in the front office. And I think you have impacted in some time. And sometimes I think it is been educational for teams. In some cases, I think it has shamed teams um, into either doing the right thing or trying better to do the right thing. And my sense, Mark, is a lot of it had come from the relationships you had with coaches, front office executives around the league, and, and a sense over time that guys were not always getting the same consideration opportunities And in my sense, anyway, you tell me it impacted your move, going to the undefeated and being in a place where you could build off of these themes um, and and tell those stories.
1: Yeah, I I think um, it's something I take a lot of pride in, you know, and and so since you're breaking all the goddamn stories all the time, I had to find a different lane, man, you know? (laughs) I had to stay alive in this business. No, I have a, I I think you know this from, we worked together for a long time. I've always had passion um, in terms of writing about race issues. And, you know, I was chair of the National Association of Black Journalists Sports Task Force for six years. And I remember one day after the finals, about six years ago, I came home back to the Bay Flew to San Diego and I go to the APSE, the Associated uh, Press Sports Editors Convention. And I go in a room um, to look at all the, to talk to all the sports editors. And the room was about 250 people in there, 95%, I'd say white males. And I stood up front and they asked me like, how do we find black candidates for jobs? And I'm like, how are you guys not looking? And, 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 a lot of times, most of the time, it wasn't racist. It's just people hire their friends. People hire. They just call their buddy up and say, "Who do, who do you think we should get?" Oh, I got this guy. I got this guy, and they they just weren't re- reaching out to us. They weren't reaching out to uh, some of black journalists and and seeing uh, who was available. And I kept telling them that like our, the. NABJ convention is like a scouting combine. Like You come here and <laughs> right. meet all the top black journalists in the country, whether it's a Michael Wilbon or, or a kid in college, and um, basically get to know everybody. And I said, look, if you have a job open, just hit me up, and I'll give you three to five qualified candidates who are interested. And after that, they started reaching out to me and, and started getting more and more people uh, black people hire for jobs and, and my point was to them is this look, I'm not telling you you have to hire them, but I'm asking you to at least bring them in, give them an opportunity um, hear their story hear hear about their experience, let them tell you why they're best for the job. And my mentality is the same with the NBA. If the white guy is the best guy for the job hire them but at least bring a diverse group of candidates in. And hear what they got to say and look at their resume and give them a chance. And and it's those those hirings where it's just like, oh, we hired this guy and nobody mm-hmm. got a chance to sell themselves for the job. I think that's where, you know, a lot of the black candidates w- would get frustrated. Like I'd hear these guys and like, man, well, so many times I've heard these black coaches or front office guys say, I feel like the field goal posts are always moved for us. Like they tell us to do this, coach in a G League, and we do that, or 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 go scout and do that. Mm-hmm. But then somebody just gets hired out of nowhere who doesn't have any experience and and it, it's painful. And I, I remember what happened with the Bulls when they, you know, uh Arturis got hired as president. I don't think any of them even doubted that Arturis was a great candidate, but there was nobody black that got interviewed in the first round and Troy Weaver quietly thought that he was told that if you come interview, it'll be a token interview. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing that's painful. Mm-hmm. And I've had, I had a front office guy call me said, you know what? I think our best candidates are viewed as not even as good as perhaps the worst white candidate. And I couldn't let stuff like that just sit on my soul. Like, I, I feel like I have to write about those things. I have to tell those stories. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's two woes. I use a lot of stats when I, when I tweet out stuff, when I write stuff, because I think that resonates with people more than opinion in the, these matters, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of there's, uh, 75% of the league is black. Now there's five coaches. That's it's factual. It's not a lie. It's, it's what it is. And, and I think that hits harder with people more. <clears throat> and uh, I, I, it, to me it should be the best man or the best woman for the job but please bring in a diverse candidate and and a lot of times you might bring somebody in and maybe they don't get that job but you are so impressed with your time with them that maybe if that job opens again or another part of your organization you might decide you want to bring them in because so so it, it can't be just hiring your buddies or getting somebody's opinion like i I just think if we get diverse group of candidates and and do a real, real search, and there are going to be times when somebody's going to come in and blow people off their feet that they never expected it if they do it in a diverse way.
0: Mark, you talk about having just a a diversity of of people, and with that comes the diversity of perspective and thoughts and ideas. And I think back to our time at Yahoo Sports together, and you and I were there for – I don't know how many years together, Mark, seven or eight, maybe seven, seven seven years together. And I learned more about covering It's funny. I I didn't cover the NBA full-time until I got to Yahoo. I was a general columnist. You had been an NBA beat writer in uh, Denver and then Boston and, and on your way up. And I, I think about, you know, you and I might've had a relationship with the same people, whether it was an assistant coach, a head coach, a front office executive. And what I learned from you was, like, the the things you're talking about, and maybe not every guy would share those frustrations with me who was a young black candidate or a front office executive who had been around. And I know I had those conversations, but what I learned from you was and, and it's what you're talking about, which was understanding the frustration of those candidates and talking through those issues with them. And I didn't always see it right away. And working with you opened my eyes to you are not looking at this. and and, and I don't know that you it, it was just more, I think, unconscious in talking with you and being with you places. And watching the way guys would open up to you in a way that they probably weren't with me at the time, and I didn't have, and I think my sensitivity to that issue grew because I worked with you. And that speaks to having different people in a workplace who see things differently. And, And that's when people talk about diversity and what it means. To me, that was the epitome of it, because you gave me a perspective as a colleague that maybe I wasn't always... I was aware of it and I and I knew in in instances that the odds were absolutely stacked. And while the NBA did more than other leagues, there was more the NBA could still do. Yeah. And and I got that from working with you. And I, I I think about it a lot. I think about it a lot. And 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 when I see what you're doing now, you're not just sharing that with I was lucky enough to work with you and and get that context from you one-on-one, but now I see you sharing it with everybody, and, and to me, it's a pretty great thing.
1: No, no, thanks, for man. Thanks for that. I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I think I told you maybe early on when you came here, when stuff was going on, like, man, I feel like people are starting to really appreciate what I write about now. Like, sometimes I, I could kind of feel on an island out here uh, at the undefeated, and you're like, uh, I, I feel like I'm somebody that's, you know, beating a drum and yelling and screaming, and uh, that's why I think it's like great when you say something, or or when Pop says something, or Steve says something, or Corb or JJ, because it can't just be black voices. Like, mm-hmm. it warms my heart, man, to see Caruso and Hero in a finals game, two white guys wearing Black Lives Matter on the back of their jersey. Yeah. It means a tremendous amount to me, um, and and I shared that with uh, Caruso and and told Corver and JJ Reddick, thank you for everything they do, and you know, thank you for what you do, and because I think a lot of times there are people that tune out black voices because they probably feel like we're crying wolf all the time, um, but when somebody that's not black says it too, I think it, sometimes it carries more water to people, you know. Like okay, well, if he's saying that, maybe I should look at it a little more, because they're from a similar background as as I am, and so a lot of times, man, it's you know you wonder if, like, hey, if if, if if you saw the DMs I get, man, from people, mm-hmm. the racist stuff I get on a daily basis, man, I just block, move on, man. I, I don't spend much time with it, but it, there there is some. There are some punches that come with with speaking out, with telling the truth, with, with with blowing your trumpet. But I do feel that this job is the best job I ever had because it it, it certainly gives me a purpose, and and it it I think like just like the thing I wrote about Myers Leonard, I don't know if a lot of people read it, but to talk in depth with Myers Leonard as he explains why he stands. Mm-hmm. Like I learned from Myers Leonard during the bubble. Like he his thing is you could you could have pride in your country and you could fight for black people, black Americans. And I dug it. I, I I dug what he what he's saying. And I think a lot of this is we have to have conversations to understand each other, to not just understand the black perspective, but understand the white perspective, the female perspective, every perspective. And so Myers and I like Myers and I I love to sit down and have dinner with him man and and he he's learning from me I'm learning from him and I think that's what like a lot of what the undefeated is about is we just want to get the conversation uh, educate you have you look at a different perspective you know and that's why I, I I I'll take them bullets and the hate and and all that if if it means that what I'm writing could perhaps give somebody a different look that they didn't think about before that. I'll take those, those bullets every day for that.
0: And I know you do. And, you know, for the people who don't know you, you know, you're the, it's funny, wherever I've ever been in an arena with you in a city with you in a restaurant in a city where you've worked, like it's, it's awe inspiring to watch. (laughs) I mean, like people joke and call you the mayor wherever you are, but like I think of uh arena I think we were in Denver for a playoff well, one a playoff game years ago, and you hadn't been there, you had left years earlier to go to Boston and like we walked through the arena and you know every security guard, you know every <laughs> you know you know every uh usher in the stands in arenas all over America. It's not that you just don't, it's not that you don't only know every guy in the locker room, every player, but you know, every person who works in the arena, you didn't know just every agent. You knew everybody who worked in the office. I mean, I laugh at, I don't want to give any away, but I remember us working on a story once, um, at Yahoo. And I don't know if it was a free agent, free agency or trade, but I remember it wasn't the agent you got it from; it was the young woman who worked in the office. And if you, do you remember that one, no, not no. I do, I do. This was a long time ago, long before you were. Anyway, I just remember you knew. No, 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 no. I know her, and I'm like, she an agent? No, she works in the office. I said, okay. Anyway, we got the story, and I think about that with you. Like, it's one thing to call Bill Duffy. Um, yeah. as you mentioned earlier. It's another thing to call and uh, it, it wasn't Bill Duffy's office I should
1: yeah. say.
0: Um, but um, uh, but listen hey, it was an op
1: it, I'll tell you this. My, my dad you know and pray for him. He's been fighting ALS for a while so I love that man dearly but uh, he always says you know got to speak to everybody. Speak to everybody. Like you're never he always tell me, used to tell me you're never I, I don't care if somebody is CEO or they sweep the floor, you know, speak to everybody because one, you're not better than them. And two, you never know what they'll tell you. And I can't tell you how many times like something happened. There was a fight and then, you know, I like there's all oh, the yeah. guys going to back yeah, and then I'll go talk to this usher, somebody know, that sweet and they're like, Oh man, this is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. And they, they, exactly. like, they give me the whole deal. And they're like, how did he find that out? I talked to everybody. So, you know,
0: yep yeah, yeah the 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 quintessential mark Spears memory in my household was the my wife still remembers it my daughter still remembers it the all-star game in New York in it was cold and the freezing rainy, one. the freezing one uh 2000 and what year was that mark
1: it's like 15 right 15
0: 16. yeah yeah uh, I remember you coming up on the sidewalk seeing my daughter and you had a long fur coat on and you went to hug her and she just disappeared into your fur coat. <laughs> we always remember that. Like she just disappeared into the fur, six foot eight of Mark Spears and the fur the the fur coat that heading big, down. That
1: big yellow coat I have. Yeah, yeah. And long she did,
0: and, and you went to give her a hug and she just we we can we still picture her disappearing into your jacket. So it's a great uh uh you hold a special place
1: in the Woj uh, house. that's for sure oh, and man that was my your your, your fan your your wife is should get whatever she wants from you one yeah, you, and your that, kids are both sensational, man, very smart and funny and you know i I love them both, so please tell them I said I said I said, I said hi and happy birthday to your wife too. I'm gonna tell you that again to tell that again she has I, a will, I,
0: I will, I will. uh the Spencer Haywood rule, battles, basketball and the Making of an American Iconoclast by Mark J. Spears and Gary Washburn. It's available uh, wherever you order books. I know it is not necessarily easy to go to a bookstore right now anywhere, but you can get it online. Uh, I've got mine in the mail. I ordered one off of Kindle and read one there um, and read a version there. The book's terrific. It's a piece of not just basketball history, but really American history. And uh, Mark, uh, congrats on the book. Congrats on making it through the bubble. You're almost to Not the other there side
1: here. Don't, don't jinx me, man. And are gonna be end up going to game seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, hey, but let me say something to you, man. Congrats on all your success, everything you're doing. I, I remember when you had 20,000 Twitter followers, and now you got like 8 zillion, and and I really uh proud to have worked with you from the beginning seeing your growth we used to have w- w- our war against espn <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's and then we and then we, me, and then we jumped the fence he's yeah. like we're gonna get them i know it's just me and you <laughs> what was we call me with these fire up speeches <laughs> and when free agency started it, it was like uh me and him and trading places It's like when when, when Eddie Murphy and – uh, what's the other guy's name? Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd was about to go into the stock market, man. (laughs) That was us when free agency started, man, and we were two-man bad and and held our own. So it's like now I laugh sometimes. I'm like, boy, these two Yahoo boys are at ESPN doing some great things. So, man. yeah continue breaking that news man continue uh making your mark in the journalism world and i'm extremely proud of you and your success man well
0: proud of you too mark and uh glad to have done it with you uh with you i like i like working with you a lot more than i like working against you i've learned that in this business but uh uh go out grab the book uh mark uh finish up strong in the bubble and uh uh we will talk soon brother
1: all right brother take care now All right. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you today to our guest, the Undefeated and ESPN's Mark Spears, the author of the Spencer Haywood Rule, Battles Basketball and the Making of an American Iconoclast. You can get that at Triumph Books. Be sure to listen to the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcast, and also check out the Low Post with Zach Lowe, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhurst, and and the crossover pods that Brian and Zach are doing after each game of the NBA Finals. They've had David Fisdale on with them this week. They've had Toronto coach Nick Nurse on with them. So you can hear all of those uh, at ESPN Podcasts or wherever else you listen to your pods. We will catch you soon.